1 Timothy chapter number 1, 1 Timothy chapter 1 this evening, and we're going to use our Bibles a good bit tonight. I'm going to be very practical, uh, but I believe uh, the Bible study will be very helpful this evening, and uh, we certainly live in tumultuous times, and I certainly live in a uh, world today uh, that if we don't know the Lord, brings a lot of fear. If we don't trust the Lord, can bring a lot of fear. And uh, we have been looking on Wednesday nights. Uh, I've entitled this Wednesday night series uh, on a, uh, entitled A Charge to Keep. And I want to remind you in 1 Timothy chapter 1 this evening, we're going to uh, read verse 18. Then we're going to look to 2 Timothy chapter number 3. And then after we pray, we get into the message uh, this evening. Uh, we're going to use our Bibles to look at a half a dozen places or so. So I want you to keep your Bibles handy. But 1 Timothy chapter number 1 and verse number 18. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. He goes on to verse 19, holding faith. And a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. Uh, there's a couple of ways that, a, that the devil can destroy a Christian. Uh, one way is by sin. And I, it's a good time, just every opportunity I have to remind all of us of what sin will do to us. Uh, we need to be reminded of what sin will do to us. Sin will destroy your life. Uh, young people, sin will destroy you. Uh, sin will lie to you. The devil lies to you. Uh, sin is fun for a season, but it destroys. Uh, sin destroys homes. Sin destroys marriages. Sin destroys uh, ministries and churches. Sin will destroy you. There are a lot of Christians who've been destroyed by sin. But Paul speaks of a, of a Christian being shipwrecked, uh, being put aside, being useless, if you will, a ship that is shipwrecked is not very helpful, is it? Uh, you're not going to go very far on a ship that is shipwrecked. Concerning the faith. Sin will destroy you, but there's been a lot of Christians who've been destroyed, and, it's, and, and they don't commit the quote-unquote bad sins that a lot of people do, but they're still shipwrecked because of the faith. They have turned from the Word of God. It's important that we guard ourselves, and the Apostle Paul writes about this uh, many other places. It reminds me uh, of the study we did on the armor of God. We need to realize that we are in a spiritual warfare. The devil wants to destroy you. Uh, all, 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 you, all, you all you couples who have uh, young children in the nursery tonight, you understand something. That little child, that innocent little life, the devil wants to destroy it. Uh, and he'll use sin in your life, sin in, in, in that child's life. We must protect ourselves. When it comes to the faith, I'm afraid there's a lot of people who, who will protect themselves in this regard, talking about having some separation, having some standards. And by the way, that's why you have it. Uh, people say, well, I just don't believe in separation. We don't believe in holiness if you don't believe in separation. Uh, one reason we have separation is because I'm afraid of sin. I'm afraid of sin. Uh, I'm going to preach separation because I'm afraid of what sin will do to these teenagers sitting right here. I'm afraid of what sin will do to the kids that are sitting around the, the building. I'm afraid of it. We can guard ourselves in that respect, but we must guard ourselves when it comes to our doctrine as well. And that's what Paul is speaking of, lest you become a shipwreck. If you leave the word of God, God's hand of blessing is not on you. He's not going to bless you. 
Uh, we must have the Word of God, preach the Word of God, stand where the Bible stands, and that is where we get our blessings. So Paul is warning Timothy. He says, this charge I commit unto thee. I'll remind you very, very quickly, Paul made this personal. Paul says, I'm committing it to you. He says, my son Timothy. Now, he was his son in the faith. God had used Paul in the life of Timothy for his salvation, for his growth as a Christian, his work in the ministry. He says, I'm committing this to you. I remind you again, who did Paul have the faith committed to? Who committed the faith to Paul? Jesus Christ did. He received it directly from the Lord Jesus Christ, and now he is committing it to Timothy. And then Timothy committed it to others, and they committed it, and now we have the faith because it was committed. I want to take it as personally as Timothy was to take it. We must take it, lest we become... Well, is doctrine that really big a deal? I, I was gone last week, so we may be here a while. I want to protect myself from the things of this world because of what it may do to me. I'll separate, but when it comes to the things of doctrine, doctrine is worth separating over. A belief in the Word of God is why? Because it leads to shipwreck. It's important that we keep this charge. Well, all I'm, I, you know, I'm just, I'm just trying to, to reach the world for Christ. The doctrine and things don't matter. You can't reach the world for Christ without the right doctrine. You can't do it. Holding faith. So he commits to him that thou mightest fight a good warfare. The Christian life, the commission, everybody with me tonight? I know it's a little gloomy out there, but I'll try to keep you awake tonight. <clears throat> the, the Christian life, the, the, the mission of the church is not to sit around a campfire and sing Kumbaya. It is to reach the world with the gospel. The gates of hell shall not prevail. That does not sound like patty cake to me. It says, fight us a good warfare. You're a member of the Emmanuel Baptist Church. We are in a war. We are in a battle, and it's for the souls of men. We must have the faith because the souls of men are depending on that. Now, I took some extra time to remind you of the whole basis of this study because as I was thinking about this and planning this series out, he committed to him. Why is it so important that he is committed? I've given you some reasons about the faith. It's the gospel. It's the truth of salvation. Turn over with me to 2 Timothy chapter number 3, a passage we've been in many, many times. For the last several years, we have spent a lot of time in the New Testament, on Wednesday night Bible studies especially, looking at the writings of Paul. If you think back to our uh, series on ministry companions, uh, and, and that, that, that series, uh, and then we did the armor of God, and I just sent to print uh, Paul's last words. We taught some of that on, on Wednesday night. <clears throat> I've written, I have another manuscript from 2 Timothy chapter number 3 that I haven't taught at all, but as I was thinking of one part of that this evening, the Lord connected the two. And I think it's good for us to be reminded, especially in this world we live in, it is important that we hold to the faith and accept that charge that's committed to us. Because in 2 Timothy 3, in verse 1, we're reminded, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. A ship without an anchor will be shipwrecked. 
It's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time. Our anchor is the Word of God. It is the faith. Perilous times shall come, and I would say perilous times have come. They have come. And so how are we to survive these perilous times? Well, we must keep the faith that has been charged to us so that we survive the perilous times. We survive all of the things, and if we were to read that again this evening, we would see all of the uh, attributes of this time. They are pertinent and applicable to the day we live in today. So how do we survive perilous times? Just because it's perilous times doesn't mean the church is supposed to fold. Doesn't mean the church is supposed to be defeated. That's why Paul warned Timothy of the perilous times. That's why in this epistle, this letter, the second epistle, it ties together with the first epistle. You must understand, we must have the faith that we're going to survive these perilous times. So tonight I want to teach on that just for a few minutes this evening, surviving perilous times. There's a lot of Christians, sadly, that doesn't, won't survive the perilous times. A lot of churches that won't survive the perilous times. You know, if the gates of hell shall not prevail, a pandemic shouldn't either. A Biden administration shouldn't either. As the world becomes more and more of a one-world system, it shouldn't either. Um, the Bible, forever, Lord, that word is settled in heaven, and that tells me the word of God is everlasting. That which we are built on, the pillar and ground of truth uh, of the local church, is surviving the perilous time. So I'm going to be very practical this evening. We'll spend a lot of our remaining time actually looking at different scriptures to help us, but I want to give us a blueprint. <clears throat> we talk of the perilous times. Uh, that we warn of the perilous times. I've taken a few minutes before I've even prayed. If I've talked this long before I pray, just think about how long I'm going to talk after I pray. Um, we, we, think, we, we talk about that, but the Bible also tells us what to do in those times. So I want to emphasize the importance for us tonight to know that we have the faith, the hold to the faith, because when the perilous times come, we should survive. We can survive. And there's a blueprint for surviving. Let's ask the Lord to help us. Father, I pray that you'll help us tonight as we look into your word. I pray that you'll use your word in the life of the Christian. May this be a message tonight, some truths tonight that encourages us, that strengthens us. Now, Father, you've been so good to your church and you've blessed us in so many ways. But Father, as this world gets further and further away from you and uh, we get more bold and bold in our proclamation of the gospel. Uh, there are going to be some tumultuous times. And Father, may we realize that even in uh, a wicked day, even in these perilous times, as your book talks about, uh, there's a purpose for the church. Uh, we can not just survive them, but we can thrive in them. And Father, I pray that you'll use your word tonight to help us this evening. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I've already mentioned, and I'll not go over much of that uh, left again, I'll get right into the outline, but it's important that we know and we take that commitment. A Christian that 
as they grow in their Christian life. And some, we have a blessed church. We have many in our church. This is a multi-generational church, not just meaning we have some from every generation. Uh, we have uh, multiple generations of families in our church. We have some uh, who have grown up, many who have grown up in church, many who are growing up in this church. And so it's unique in that perspective. But if that individual doesn't ever get a hold of the fact that this book has been committed to me, I'm to take that committed. The day will come when perilous times come, when error comes into their life and presented with it. They will put down that which had been committed to them, but they never accepted the charge. The great Christian, the greatest thing that we have is our salvation. Where do we learn of our salvation? From the Word of God. The greatest thing we have as a child of God is this book that we have in front of us. We must hold to it. We must know it. And in perilous times, and you know I've been saying this for some time, in perilous times, we don't need to be looking to Fox News, CNN, or anybody else. We need to be looking to the Word of God. Uh, that is our, our rudder, if you will. Uh, it's a shame there are many today who have grown up in Bible-believing churches just like this one, and they're shipwrecked. The quote-unquote, sin of the world did not get them. But the faith, they set it aside because they did not commit themselves to it. They did not hold to it. The charge that was given to them, if you'll allow me tonight, I'll use myself as an example. I was six years of age when my family moved here and my father became the pastor of the church before I became the pastor. Uh, six years of age, so more or less, I grew up in this church. Um, some of you still are shocked by that, but uh, not as shocked as I am. But um, So I have grown up in this. I've grown up in this church. My father was the pastor here for 32 years. Now, that is a heritage I have. That is an opportunity that I have. But that would have done me no good if somewhere along the way I did not say this has been committed to me, not to my father. Now, I had been committed to him, but at some point I had to say, These, this is my book. I used to hear my dad preach and say that he, there's, a, there's a line in the sand and he will, he, he will die, die for this book. The day had to die. I used to say, that's right. That's right. It's, yep. He'll do that. The day had to come where I had to say, what hill will I die on? I had to accept the charge. Every young person, every God has blessed us with a great youth program through the years. We have, we have, we have a great group of young adults, young couples. But you, somewhere along the line, have got to say, I'm accepting the charge for me. This is the charge I have. It then becomes not my pastor believes, my church stands, here's our doctrinal statement, but this is what I believe. I say this often to new Christians, and I say it publicly and privately. As you grow as a Christian and you're trying to figure, figure out the Christian life, borrow my beliefs until you get your own. That's one reason why you have a pastor. I don't understand what you mean by, by separation. I don't understand. Borrow my standards while you get your own. But everybody needs to have their own. 
Everybody needs to know what they believe about the faith, the Word of God. Because perilous times come. We're in them. They're here. But should the church be retreating? Absolutely not. The church should be advancing. I just hope we survive. Well, I'm not looking to just survive. I'm looking to thrive. Pastor, don't you know what's going on in this world? Yeah, and it tells me time is short. And so we better be busy about the Lord's work because Jesus, if we believe Jesus is coming again, there's a lot of people who need to hear that message. Uh, we need to be busy about that. But the point I'm trying to make is we have to accept it, and then perilous times shall come. Christians make this mistake. They think when they got saved, all their problems went away. When you got saved, all your problems just began because you have an enemy who's going to fight you. And besides that, the flesh you have doesn't like these spiritual matters. I, I almost said uh, most of the time. It's all the time your flesh doesn't like these spiritual matters. But we should survive in these perilous times. Let's, let's jump into the outline. I, I don't want to keep you too late tonight. Uh, how do we survive perilous times? Turn with me to Proverbs chapter number 22. Proverbs 22. It, it's an easy correlation while you're turning there. A lot of churches, there's churches that I used to attend as a child. I wouldn't attend today because they've, they've given up the faith. There, there are men that I went to, to school with had the same training as I had. I wouldn't attend their churches because they're, they're shipwrecked. They've given up the faith. They never got in 1 Timothy 1, so therefore they didn't survive in, 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 in 2 Timothy, if that makes sense. We can talk about how we're going to survive all this, but if you don't ever get it deep inside, if you don't ever get a hold of it and say, can you imagine how serious, do we know how serious Paul was about this? Have you ever thought about that? Paul's pretty serious about it, don't you think? He got the faith directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. Timothy was pretty serious about it. Because he got the faith directly from Paul, who he knew got it directly from Jesus Christ. You and I should take it that seriously. So how are we going to survive? Number, number one, let me say, know your Bible. Look at Proverbs 22, verse 17. Bow down thine ear and hear the words of the wise and apply thine heart unto my knowledge. For it is a pleasant thing if thou keep them within thee, they shall withal be fitted in thy lips. That thy trust may be in the Lord, I have made known to thee this day, even to thee. Have not I written to thee excellent things and counsels and knowledge? That I might make thee know the certainty of the words of truth that thou might answer the words of truth to them that send unto thee. If you're going to survive perilous times, you need to know your Bible. This is a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. Our Sunday school curriculum, what is it built on? It's built on the Bible. What do we do on Wednesday night? We teach the Bible. What do you do? What's your children's program? Well, it's learning the Bible. You must know your Bible. We have a, an enemy, and he's the deceiver. He's the deceiver. And we, we fool ourselves if we think that we're the smartest person who's ever come along, and we're the one that he's not going to deceive. Have you ever thought that Eve talked to God? God talked to Eve. Eve saw firsthand the things that God did. And he still deceived Eve. He didn't come up with some 
great plan that is just so far out there that just could be... No, he almost quoted God. And the same is true today. Uh, we, gotta be, we have to know our Bible. Very simply, read it. This is deep, I know. You might want to write that down. If you're going to know it, you got to read it. I, I had a teacher, I had several teachers, and I won't mention any, any names, but I had a teacher one time I heard her say, and I think she said this several times, that you, you're going to have to study, you're going to have to prepare. You can't wait till the last night. And those of you that have gone through our school too, you, you can picture who I'm talking about. You can't wait, you've got to prepare yourself, you've got to study. You can't put your book under your pillow the night before and then show up for class the next day and know it. I'm like, how did she know I've been doing that? You can't do that with the Bible either. Just because you carry it on Sunday doesn't mean you're going to know it. Just because it sits on a shelf where you can see it through the week doesn't mean you're going to know it. You've got to open it and read it. That is how you know it. I cannot tell you how many times the Spirit of God has brought to my attention, brought back to my memory, things I never memorized. But I've read it enough that it's in there for him to bring to memory. You read it, muse on it, meditate on it, think on it. We fail in our thinking before we actually fail in our actions by the things we think on. There's a lot said, and it should be said, about there's things we should not think on as a child of God. But perhaps we don't talk enough about the things that we should think on. Don't, we're very Catholic sometimes in the things that we do, meaning that it becomes a ritual. I've got to read my Bible. But do you ever think about what you read throughout the day? Think about it, meditate on it. Chew on it. If you're from the South, you know exactly what that means. Meditate on it. Listen to it preached. Apply it to your life. When you sit in a Sunday morning service, Sunday night service, don't make the mistake of saying, yeah, I hope so-and-so is listening. They need this. You may be right, but let me tell you, while you're thinking of them, they're thinking of you. I hope someone who's listening, they definitely need this. Apply it. What can I apply to my life? Know your Bible. If you're going to survive perilous times, know your Bible. Uh, turn me to the book of Luke, chapter number 1. Luke, chapter number 1. Luke, chapter number 1. And then from there, we're going to go right to 2 Peter, chapter number 1. So if you want to find Luke chapter number 1, then we'll go from there to 1 Peter chapter number 1. If we're going to survive perilous times, we said, first of all, you need to know your Bible. We're very simple and practical tonight. Second of all, you need to trust your Bible. There is a difference in knowing it and trusting it. I've talked to a lot of people who would quote a lot of Scripture, but their life reflects that they don't have trust in the Word of God. We have to decide where we're going to put our faith, where we're going to put our trust. Luke chapter number 1, verse 1. For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth and order a declaration of those things 
which are most surely believed among us. Even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. That's been one of the oldest tricks of the book for the devil. And he certainly hasn't changed his ways because he doesn't need to change his ways because it works so effectively is to get a Christian to doubt the word of God. So what is the big deal about all the different versions and translations and all of that is to put doubt in the mind of a child of God. And by the way, to say, well, only in the originals is to put doubt in the mind of a child of God. So if somebody says that, they're just, they're just quoting the devil. Because you need to trust your Bible. I've said this to you recently, and, and I'll say it again tonight. You need to trust the Word of God more than what you see with your own eyes. That sounds crazy, Pastor. What's crazy is having the perfect, preserved Word of God for which we get our salvation, for which we know our need of salvation, we get the promises of the, the Word of God, and we don't trust it above the Word of some man. We ought to trust the Word of God more than we trust anything. You say, well, I'm just following my heart. I have a good word study for you, a good Bible study for you. To study what the Bible says about your heart, about your emotions. Spoiler alert. It's wicked. You can't trust it. I, I, somebody challenged me on that one time, and I, and I asked him, I said, you ever hit snooze on your alarm clock? And by that response, you've hit snooze on your alarm clock a few times. Do you realize the lies you tell yourself? At 5 o'clock in the morning when that goes off, the things you tell yourself of why you don't really have to get up. And you're, you know, from, well, the boss who you were bad-mouthing the day before who has no understanding, all of a sudden, he's such an understanding person, I don't have to be there. It's just a suggestion when I have to be there. We will talk ourselves into anything when we are tired, we don't want to get up, and we'll believe it. Sometimes, if I go in the workshop, I can't believe they've hired me. I mean, I had a conversation with myself at five this morning, and, and, and I was convinced that we, we'll lie to ourselves. But this word, the word of God is sure. The certainty, God wants you to know the certainty of what he has said. Second Peter chapter number one. Second Peter chapter number one. Look would be at verse 16, 2 Peter 1, 16. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. There's a lot of fables. And there's warning in the Bible about fables. 
Friend, if it doesn't come from this book, it's a fable. It's not true. Um, I'll give you an illustration that you might can relate to. You know that I like to read. You know that I like to read history. And if you like this kind of reading, it's fine. I don't like it. I don't like these novels that are based on history. That's just me personally. I know some of you do. I guess you can't comprehend real history, so you have to have a made-up version of history. But, you know, not everybody had a Christian school education like I had. But anyway, that's just because I like history. So I just assume read, but some people think it's boring just to read a bunch of facts. Um, well, here's a novel. It's based, and you see the advertisement, based on this history. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. It's something they don't go around and get on social media. But my pastor's against it, and that's not what I said. Um, I think it's dumb, but that's not what I didn't say. I was against it. No, um, I want to read the real thing. Now, there's an easy application that we can make, and it's, if you want to read, that's fine. It's, it's for entertainment value. But when it comes to the Word of God, there's a lot of fables out there that are based on the real thing but aren't the real thing. They're based on some, th- some, some things that happen, but they're not what really happened. They're a fable. And we're reminded in 1 Peter that they have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For He received from God the Father honor and glory. When there came such a voice to Him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with Him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place unto the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. There's a lot of storytellers who've sold a lot of books based off of something that's not in the Bible. One that comes to mind is Calvinism. You don't become a Calvinist by reading the Bible. You come one by reading. As a matter of fact, anybody I've ever had an encounter with who leaves this book, they put the word of some so-called theologian on a higher plane than this book right here. Uh, You must trust your Bible. You must trust the word of God. Number three, turn with me to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter number six. How are we going to survive perilous times? Jeremiah chapter number six. Thirdly tonight, we must stick to the Bible's old paths. A familiar passage of scripture to some, Jeremiah six, verse 16. And if you want to trigger a compromiser, just quote this verse to them. Thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways, and see, and ask for the old paths, where is the good way, and walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk therein. If you're going to survive perilous times, stick to the old paths. It's, it's, it's an amazing thing. We live in a day where God over the last couple of years has revealed what people really are. 
He's revealed how serious people are about the cause of Christ. He's revealed about where our loyalties lie. And you hear some of these Christians, independent Baptists, even preachers, we just got to stick with the Constitution. I believe that. We ought to, as a nation, stick to the Constitution. We ought to hold to the Constitution. Uh, and those that try and say, well, it's outdated. Does that upset you as an American when people say that? It needs to be rewritten. And then we say, no. It doesn't matter when it was written. It, was, it worked then. Let's, let's stick with it. Well, how come we want to apply that when it comes to our nation, but when it comes to the Word of God in the old-fashioned way, we got to have a new way. No, we don't have to have a new way. The old ways work pretty good. You know, we, 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 the new ways, where's it gotten us? Where's it gotten us? Gotten us further away from God. Stick to the Bible's old paths. Um, there's an old statement. If it's true, it ain't new. If it's new, it ain't true. Actually, the statement was, if it's, new, if it's true, it isn't new, but I changed it and southernized it. If it's true, it ain't new. And if it's new, it ain't true. If you ever read in a book or you hear someone say, I, I found this new truth, run. This is good enough. Um, let's not make the mistake of thinking, let's reinvent what God has done. Do you know, the Bible says that the faith was once delivered unto the saints. Once delivered. Not twice delivered. Once delivered. Where is the faith? The faith is delivered to the saints, and what do we know is the faith? What is found in this book? God has not given us another one. It didn't, the, the, clock, the calendar didn't hit 2,000, and God said, oh, I've got, it's expired after 1999. We better get it. No, 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 no. The faith once delivered unto the saints, and I'm thankful that through the years, pastor and people have decided that we're just going to stay on the old paths. Uh, you know, technology may change, and that's fine, but this book does not change. And if you want to survive perilous times, you watch it, you watch it. There have been some who have compromised the Word of God. They've compromised principles in this book in the last five years, and you watch where they are in five more years. You watch where they are. Stick with the old path. Stick with the old way. Stick with the tried and true. It still works. Number, what number? Four. I have five tonight, just so you know. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter number three. Hebrews chapter number three. Hebrews three. It's important for us to be reminded of this because I believe we do live in perilous times. And I'm looking forward to getting this, just as a side note, this book in print from 2 Timothy chapter number 3. You know I taught you on the emerging church for over a year. But I believe perilous times are here. Everything that 
the Scripture says in 2 Timothy 3, you could point a finger to it and say, it is here. And as I've maintained for years, I don't believe the Apostle Paul is talking about a lost world in 2 Timothy 3. I believe he's talking about the religious world in 2 Timothy 3. And you can see all of those things. So if we're going to survive those, and there's a big pull to go that way. Uh, there's pressure from people. There's pressure from groups. There's pressure from other Christians. There's pressure from others who have gone the, a different way. <clears throat> there's pressure on our society. Our society hates Bible-preaching churches. There's a pressure to compromise. You know, all of our problems would go away if we would just compromise. One day, I'm going to stand in the presence of the Savior, and I don't want to be there as a compromiser. Don't want to be there that way. But we must, be, we must survive those perils. And how we do it is, look at Hebrews chapter number 3. Number 4, you be faithful to your church. Verse 12 and 13, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, why it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You need to be faithful to your church. Uh, Hebrews chapter number 10, in verse 23 and 25, and the fifth thing I'll say tonight is encourage one another, and these two tie together. Hebrews chapter number 10, verse 23 through 25, let us hold fast the profession of your faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Oh, the, I wish sometimes we would just listen to ourselves talk in what we say. Oh, Hey, look, look at everything that's happening. The Lord is coming soon. We've decided that we're no longer going to have a Sunday night service. Oh, look at what's happening. It is getting ready for, for Christ to return. We're no longer having a, a Wednesday night Bible study. We're going to home fellowships. Oh, look at what's happening. Everything is aligned so Jesus can come back. He's coming soon. The day is approaching. We're no longer going to have Sunday school. One hour on Sunday morning is enough. That is contrary to what the Bible says we're supposed to do in perilous times. So much the more as we see the day approaching. It's almost like we don't read our Bibles. It's almost like we don't know our Bibles. Or if we do, we are in direct defiance of what God has said. We should be faithful to the house of God. You say, we got it, Pastor. It's Wednesday night. We're here. It's a reminder for all of us. We must be faithful to the house of God. Be faithful to your church. I know we have a few guests here tonight, so with the exclusion of them, unless they want to move their membership this evening, if you're a member of the Emmanuel Baptist Church, this is your church. Be faithful to it. You should be, and I know you're here on a Wednesday night, so I know I'm quote-unquote preaching to the choir tonight, <clears throat> preaching to everybody watching on live stream this evening, those listening by radio tonight. 
But let me remind you all, you as a member should be as faithful to your church as the pastor is. You should be just as faithful. You should pray for it. You should give to it. You should work in it. You should be faithful. The worst thing that you can do as a Christian is when you don't feel like going to church, don't go. Because when you don't feel like it, that's when you need to go. Now, you need to go when you do feel like it too, but be faithful. Be faithful. No wonder we have a world that won't go, won't go to church because we have Christians that don't go to church. No wonder we don't have people who invite others to go to church because they're not even going to be there. And we want to blame our failure on the old paths. or They don't work anymore. It's, it's 2021. The old paths will work if you'll work the old paths. And you've got to be faithful. We have to be faithful. In this day we live in, you know it to be true. People are scared. They're afraid. And, and the science today is going to be the opposite tomorrow. And I told you my theory on the trust the science. These are the people who say we came from monkeys and the world exploded. Trust the science. Well, okay, I'll, whatever. But the point I'm making is you can't trust anything you hear today except the Word of God. And when Christians aren't faithful to what they need to be faithful to, we're not the light that we're supposed to be. So be faithful to your church and encourage one another. You know, some of you are here tonight and you didn't feel like coming. I came anyway, just so you know. That was a joke. Some of you are like, oh, my pastor didn't want to come. For the three of you that are awake, um, somebody notices that you're there. Somebody notices when you're not there. Encourage one another. I'm convinced that what this world needs, and I think you, you hear it in my preaching, I think you see it in the emphasis that I make in our ministry. This world needs love and encouragement. It doesn't need for it to be enabled to stay in the direction it's going. But it does need to be loved and Christians need to be encouraged. There's no greater place to be encouraged than the house of God. No greater place. Let's be faithful to our church. If you want to survive, you've got to be faithful to church. I, 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 again, I grew up a preacher's kid. I used to hear my dad say this all the time. I grew up in church. You've heard preachers say it. But now that I've been pastoring for almost nine years, I know it's true. There are times when the Lord puts a sermon on your heart. And you don't know who it's for. You just know it's for everybody. But there are times when God puts a sermon on your heart and he puts a face with it. It shouldn't be a surprise because as a pastor, you're praying for your people. You're asking the Lord to give you what will help everybody. And really, it's testimony of the supernatural thing that is the church where God can take his book and he can give a message to the pastor and he can preach that message, and it help everybody. That's a supernatural work of God that every time we go to church, we get to be a part of. But there are times when God impresses a message on my heart, 
as your pastor, and he puts a face with that message. That encourages me because I know people I care about are going to get helped. God has sent an answer to their prayers. And what a joy it is for this pastor to come out here and see what God does in the heart of people. Now, sometimes God puts that, a message on the heart and somebody that, that I don't have no idea that it's even for, it is for them, and they get something out of it. I was like, I didn't even know you're awake. They, 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 they changed their life. That's what God does. It's a heartbreaking thing to know that God puts something on your heart that he wants somebody to have. And they're not faithful to the house of God. There's going to be a lot of Christians who, if they, if they were able to make an excuse when they stood before God, they would say, well, nobody ever told me. And I believe God's rebuttal. I've, told, I've tried to encourage uh, men who are in small towns, and it seems like they can't get any traction. I try to encourage them the best I can with, God may have sent you in that town just so when eternity, eternity can tell, there was a man of God in that town. There was a voice in that town. And everybody in that town, you could have heard the truth. You could have received. And, and guess the way the church is? It's there for us. And we have something that will help us and encourage us. And let's be quite honest. Sometimes we need to come to church and we need the Spirit of God to convict us, to confront us. That's, sometimes we're shocked. We come to church and the Bible's preached. By the Spirit of God and the power of God, we're like, I can't believe I got rebuked by the Spirit of God. That's what church is. It can have you laughing and crying at the same time. It can make you feel this big, but big enough to conquer all of your problems. That's what the work of God does. But we must be faithful to our church. Hey, serve in your church. Serve in your church. Be faithful to it. Encourage one another. Notice what Hebrews 10, 23 through 25 says. Consider one another to provoke. Now, this is not the kind of provoking that some of you are masters at. But to provoke unto love and to good works. We should be encouraging. Hey, this, let this be a help to you. Those you go to church with, as you remember of the Emmanuel Baptist Church, you should be encouraging people to good works, not the opposite way. That's what we all should be doing for one another. If we would read the Bible and study the Bible as we do each and every Wednesday night, we find that the Bible certainly sheds light on itself. And while we have spent a lot of focus on 2 Timothy chapter 4 through the years, there's famous words of Paul. I finished my course. I fought a good fight. And in those last days, preached the word. 2 Timothy 3, perilous times shall come. That is written after Paul admonishes Timothy to... Take that which has been committed to you. What we, should we all strive for as a Christian? We should have it committed to us because those perilous times are going to come and how do we stand through them? That's so why my goal as a pastor, you get a new Christian, you get somebody first getting started in the things of God. 
I want the work of God to do a work in their life, and as they grow, I want them to become committed to those things. Because when perilous times come, if the commitment is there, that's when we do stand. How committed are you? Collectively, as a church, I believe we're very committed. But you as an individual, how committed are you to keeping that faith? I preached a few Sunday nights ago from 2 Timothy chapter number 3. We talked about disobedient to parents. And if you recall, I believe in context, that's not talking about little children. That's talking about those that have been rooted in the faith and they're an adult now. And they live a disobedient life to what they were taught by mom and dad from the word of God. That's a sign of the last days. I bring all that up, so if we're going to avoid that, if we're not going to fall into that, the desire out of every child, every young person as they get older, I'm going to, I'm going to stay with the faith. I'm going to keep the faith. I'm going to keep that which has been committed unto me. Every Sunday school teacher ought to have that in mind when they come and teach their class. Yes, I'm teaching these life-changing truths, but my ultimate goal is not, not for me just to teach it, but for them to grab a hold of it then they hide it in their heart as a child. Then as they grow, teenagers will have to decide what I'm going to do. Young, young men and young ladies as adults are going to have to decide what direction they're going to go. Young couples are going to have to decide what are they going to build their marriage on, what are they going to rear their, how they're going to rear their children. It's, even when you get a little bit older and, you're, and your kids leave the home, you have to decide again. I've reared my kids. I've kept them safe from this world by having them in a, in a church like this, but you've got to finish. You've got to keep that which is committed to you. Let's run our race committed to the cause of Christ. It reveals more and more the closer we get to Christ's return. And from a very simple, practical standpoint, when the sun comes up tomorrow, we're closer to Christ's return. When it comes up the next day, we're closer to Christ's return. So as his return gets closer and closer, we should be more and more and more committed to the faith, lest we become a shipwreck. Fight the good fight, the Apostle Paul said. Let's keep that and make it committed and be committed to it. Father, help us tonight as we